We have been working our way through the book of Matthew, and last week uh, we had the Pharisees and religious leaders confronting Jesus, right? They had interrupted his teaching. He had uh, been teaching in the, the temple, and they interrupted his teaching to ask him where he got his authority. Where do you get the authority to do these things? Where do you get the authority to heal? Where do you get the authority to send people out of the temple who are not doing uh, righteous things? Where, where do you get the authority to stand here and teach like this? Where do you get this authority? And Jesus began uh, with a couple of parables to tell them um, not just about where his authority comes from, right? He had, he had responded to that question by where does John get his authority? And they said, we don't want to say where John gets his authority because we didn't listen to him. He said, okay, then I'm not going to tell you where I get my authority from either, but let me tell you a couple of stories about authority. And he tells them a story about sons that one says he's not going to submit to his father, but then does, and another one who uh, says he will submit to his father and then doesn't. And which one of them uh, did what the father wanted? And then he tells a story about a, a vineyard owner who uh, hired out some or leased out his vineyard to some tenants, and then when he was sent to have the the um, revenue from the vineyard returned to him, they refused. And so the, the implication being, look, guys, my authority comes from heaven and you need to submit to it. You need to listen. The ways that you rejected did not listen to John the Baptist. You need to listen to me. You need to listen to me. And you can imagine Jesus still standing in the temple, talking with them in this way, and them being very frustrated, right? At the end of the, the, the last uh, section, they were quite frustrated with Jesus because uh, he was convicting them, right? Accusing them of unwillingness to submit. And so it says in, in verse 45 that when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. So here he is in front of all these people in the temple being interrupted while he's teaching so that he can teach about a new subject. What does it take to get into the kingdom? And what does it mean to submit to the king? And now Jesus is going to follow this up with another story, but this story is a little bit different because instead of sending people out into a vineyard, right? The two sons, the father sent them out into a vineyard so that they could work. And then the, we had the vineyard owner who had the tenants who went into the vineyard so that they could work and produce the fruit. But now we, he's going to compare the kingdom of heaven not to a vineyard where there is work to be done, but to a celebration to which you are invited. Let me read this parable, and then we'll go back through it. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. 
and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, "'Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment?' And he was speechless." Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This time, instead of having uh, people being sent into a vineyard to work, we have a king who has a son who's getting married. And as part of that, the the king is very happy. There's going to be a big celebration because his son is getting married. And so he's invited all the people, all these people have been invited to the celebration of the wedding. Now, I don't know if you enjoy wedding celebrations or not, right? There are some people who uh, they find them boring or whatever. I happen to like wedding celebrations. I happen to like them. What's not to like? You go, the, everything is beautifully done, you eat really good food, you hang out with people that you know, right? The, uh, uh, we had a, a time in my life where there were, I have a lot of cousins, some of you know that, and so there was a time in my life where we were having like four weddings a year for like four years. I, it was right in that neighborhood, right? That we, I, there were so many of my cousins that were getting married. We were just having parties all the time. We were just getting together all the time and celebrating that these people were getting married. And I got to see my cousins that I didn't see that often multiple times in a year because everybody was invited to the wedding and then the wedding ceremony. And so there'd be this good food and there would be music and there would be lots of talking and reconnecting with people that I know and love. And then you're celebrating this union, right? This, these two people who are starting a new life together and the joy that they have in that and you get to participate in that joy. And there's just all of this celebration that happens in that wedding reception. You can tell the ones that it's like, we're not sure about this wedding right? Because that joy is, there's an undercurrent. But when there's a a joy and I say, oh, I love this person who is the bride and I just met the husband, the the brand new husband and the, who's the groom and we get to celebrate with them and I see the way that she lights up because this is such a great day and I see the way that he lit up when she came into the room in that dress and we just, this is fun, this is fun. Well, this king is inviting people to this celebration, right? And this isn't just any wedding ceremony. This is the dream wedding ceremony, right? The dream wedding ceremony, the dream reception, the dream feast, because the king is going to put on this huge celebration for his son. And so Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to tell you another story. And this isn't like somebody that's a father talking to his son saying, go son and go work in the vineyard. 
Or a landowner who tells the tenants, you work in the vineyard and then you give me from the fruit and sends the servants to go collect the fruit. Now I'm going to tell you a a story about what the kingdom of heaven is like and this is what it's like. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. And the servants went out and they said, hey, it's time. It's time. The feast is prepared. You had already been invited. You knew this was coming. And so now I'm here to tell you it's time. Everybody come, come, uh, come to the, the king's house. We're going to have this big celebration. The, the son is getting married and the celebration is about to begin. So everybody, let's go, let's go. And they wouldn't come. What? You're not going to come? Yeah, no. No, I'm not going to come. Did you get the invitation? Yeah, oh yeah, I got the invitation. You knew that the king's son was getting married today. Oh, yeah, I I knew. You know that makes today a national holiday, right? Today's a national holiday. There's no work done today. Oh, yeah, I know that too. Yep. You know there's free food? Really good free food? Do you know that too? Oh, yeah, I I, I know. I'm I'm not coming. I, I would not be surprised if this happened in the Pacific Northwest. Because in the Pacific Northwest, people don't RSVP. I'm going to have a wedding. I'm going to have a wedding ceremony. I'm going to send out all the RSVPs so that we can prepare and have a great celebration and let you know that this celebration is going to happen and everything will be perfect because you're going to be there and you committed ahead of time to be there. But people in the Pacific Northwest, they don't commit ahead of time to be there. They don't RSVP. You can send out the RSVPs and they will not come back. I don't know what it is. But people in the Pacific Northwest, they don't like to RSVP. They don't like to tell you that they're coming. They may or may not come. I think they're holding their options open. That's what they're doing. Well, I might come. I might come. So I'm not going to check the no box. But I don't want to commit to the yes box because what if I have to work that day? What if I get invited to go to Hawaii with my friend? What if something comes up? What if the kids have an activity at school or something? I don't want to commit ahead of time that we're going to go because then I would have to go. And what if something better comes along? And so you, in the Pacific Northwest, you send out your RSVPs, To find out who's going to come, nobody does tell you. And so then you have to call them. Did you get the RSVP? Oh, yes, I did get the RSVP. Do you know what that means? I know it's in French, but it means please respond. That's what it means. So are you going to come to my wedding? Well, I'm just not sure. Yeah, you're not invited anymore. 
We must not be very good friends if you're not willing a couple of months ahead of time to mark out the date of my wedding, to come to my wedding celebration. If you're not willing to set aside that time, we must not be very good friends. You're not invited anymore. That would be my response. Here's what the king does, though. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And again, he sent other servants, sent more servants out, saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. The king sent out more people because the first servants came back and they said, yeah, nobody's going to come. You're going to have a lonely wedding feast. It's just you and your son celebrating all by yourselves. And the king went, what? You, you, more of you go. More of you go. They must not have understood. They must not have understood. More of you go and tell them that I have everything ready. I have gone to great expense to have a very, very good party. Go and tell them. Go and tell them that now is the time to come. Remind them their king tells them it's time to come now. In my house, we have a dinner bell. And we ring the dinner bell. And you can hear the bell all over the house. In fact, if somebody's outside, if they're in the neighborhood, we just ring the bell out the door, one arm out the door, ring the bell, and you can hear it. And the expectation is, dinner's ready, it's time to eat, come. I get very grumpy when they don't come. You know what that means. You're supposed to come. Now is the time to eat. The king is going, I am the king. Remind them that their king says, come and celebrate. It was a... It was a great invitation before. This is not an invitation so much as a command. You are not being invited to this party. You are being drafted to come to this party. You must come. You are compelled to come. So what are these people going to do? They've been invited They've been instructed, they've been commanded that they must come. And yet, they are going to be like the tenants in the vineyard, who the first servants came and they sent them away, they rebuffed them, they sent them away empty-handed, and so more servants were sent to go and collect the fruit. Now more servants are sent to collect the, the peasants to come and celebrate, right? But they are going to do the same things. They paid no attention, verse 5, they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized the servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. It is difficult to think of worse people than this. Killing the messenger? The messenger that came to tell you that you're invited to a party? That's a terrible way to RSVP. What are you doing? It's a national holiday. Everybody is, is supposed to drop what they're doing and come to this celebration. But one of them goes off to his farm and another one to his business. 
I had other things to do. Things that were more important to me. Things that were distracting, they pulled me away. I've been unavoidably detained. It was avoidably, but we'll call it unavoidably because it sounds nicer. And then the rest just treated the, the servants shamefully and killed them. Stop telling me that I have to come to this stinking party. I don't want to go to no stinking party. And I look at this and I think if the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast to which we are invited, what are the things that keep me from participating in the celebration of the kingdom? What are the things that distract me that when God is saying, hey, Travis, come, come celebrate with me. Come celebrate the wedding of my son. Come, come celebrate with me. Sorry, God, I'm busy. I've got things to do. We've been working on a C42 endeavor, right? The Colossians 4.2, that we would continue steadfastly in prayer. And so I've been more aware of the things that keep me from setting aside time to pray. I'm busy. I'm busy. The kids need things. The house needs things. Other people need things. I'm distracted sometimes because I was busy with Facebook or the ESPN app. I mean, sometimes it's really compelling, right? That there are really important things that must be done. Otherwise, I feel like the house is going to fall down around our ears. And other times, it's just a lack of priority. And God is calling and He's saying, what? Can you spend some time with me? Could, could you not spend a half an hour with me to celebrate the wedding of my son? I, I, I'm not asking you to go work really hard. I'm not asking you for something difficult. What I'm asking for is, would you come and celebrate with me? Would you come and rejoice? What do you have going on that's more important than that? But I find myself getting distracted, and maybe you do too. And you think back over the last few days and go, why, why could I not find a half an hour to be with God? And if you think back over the last few days, what were the things, maybe you had an issue with your car. And you were trying to get that resolved. Maybe you had a relational issue with somebody else and it was just really distracting. Maybe you had guests coming into town and you were trying to prepare so that you could be hospitable for them. Maybe it's just been a really overwhelming week with your work and the occupation that you have. Maybe you've been, it's been a really busy week with kids. And you just find you've spent a lot of time doing that. And these are not bad things, right? These are good things. There's nothing wrong with this guy going to his farm. He goes to his farm every day. There's nothing wrong with this person going to their business. They go to the business every day. It's good to be productive and have those things to do. 
It's good to have downtime. It's good to have relaxation. It's good to, to have ways of connecting with people that you know and love and show hospitality. It's fine to, to uh, open up Facebook and, and connect with people there or see things that distract you for a little bit. But when it keeps you from enjoying the celebration of God and who He is and what He's done, then we must stop and go, wait, what's going on here? What's going on here? Because when he puts it this way, and he says, it's like being invited to the celebration of the wedding of the son of the king. And you see the response, you go, well, what are those idiots doing? First of all, what a great celebration. And there's going to be great food there. Even if I didn't know the sun or like the sun, there's going to be some amazing food. Why would I not at least go for the food? But then on top of that, that you have the king who has authority over them, instructing them, commanding, demanding that they come. Why would they not come? Why would they not come? What do they think the consequences are going to be? Even if what they are doing seems more urgent, more important, or perhaps more fun than going to this wedding celebration, what do they think the consequences are going to be if they refuse the instructions of the king? And we look at them and go, you guys are a bunch of idiots. And then I start to read through the story and go, now which of these idiots am I? Well, most of them. Because when I'm real with myself, I find all kinds of excuses and distractions that keep me from entering into the presence of God. All kinds of things that just fill up my time. Some of them urgent and important. Preparing food so that I and my family can eat, that seems rather important. But sometimes it just is getting in the way. And I don't know what it was that they expected to happen as they spent their time doing other things. But the king, in verse 7, was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Overreaction much? Uh, Mr. King, they said they wouldn't go to your party. No. They would not submit to my authority and they would not honor my son. They had been invited to celebrate with us. But when you would not submit to me and honor my son, then you cannot be my subject. 
And so he goes and he destroys them and burns their city. The, the judgment here is complete. Which means that the alternatives are pretty stark. You can come and you can celebrate with joy at the wedding feast, or you can be destroyed along with everything that you have. That guy who went, you know what, forget you, king, I'm going to go do my work. I'm going to go to my business. <sharp inhale> business gone. What about the guy who went to his farm? No more farm. What about the people that went to their distractions or their families or whatever? Nope, all gone. All of those things that distract or keep us from entering into the kingdom of heaven will be wiped away. There's going to be nothing left. And so then the question is, are we going to align ourselves with those things, prioritize those things, and be wiped away with them? Or are we going to say, you know, I'd rather celebrate with God. And then, verse 8. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready. But those invited were not worthy. They weren't worthy. Why were they not worthy? They had been invited initially. It appeared that they might have been worthy when they were invited. What made them not worthy? I thought it was that they just refused to come. Right? He, but he doesn't say that. The king doesn't say, hey, look, the feast is ready, but they refused to come, so I've got no guests. He says, no, no, no. They were not worthy. They had been invited, but they were not worthy of coming because they refused to submit to my authority. They refused to honor my son. And so they were not worthy to come. And so he, he says, okay, go. Verse 9. Go therefore to the main roads and invite the wedding, to the wedding feast as many as you find. He's going, I, I've got all this food here. I've got a banquet laid out. Have you ever prepared to be hospitable? And the, the, the great fear, right, is that you won't have enough. The great fear is that you won't have enough. And so then the sad reality is when you have way too much. And so you buy all of the pizzas or you buy, get all of the food and you prepare the whole thing because you, well, what if those people do come? They didn't RSVP, but they might show up. Actually, nobody RSVP'd. I have no idea how many people are coming. I better prepare for 150 because I did invite 75, but they might bring guests. And then what do you know? You have food for 150 and 10 people showed up. What am I going to do with all of this food? What am I going to do with all of this celebration? What am I going to do with all of this blessing? And God says, nobody showed up. The king says to his servants, look, I have everything prepared here. All the food is ready and nobody showed up. Go and get people. Which people? Everybody we invited turned us down. Find new people. But I don't care. Go everywhere. Talk to everyone. Invite absolutely everybody. Well, we've never invited the everybody's before. 
It doesn't matter. When we have, look at all of this bounty that we have. Right? If, you, if you set up something at your house and you had all of the food ready and all of your friends said, no, we're not going to show up, what would you do? One option would be to go start knocking on neighbors' doors. Hey, I'm throwing a party and nobody came. Would you come help me eat my food? It's ready to go. And you could just keep knocking on doors until you get enough people who come into your house to eat all the food that you had prepared anyway. And so the servants go out. Those servants went out into the roads, verse 10, and they gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. They found everybody. The king said, go find everybody. We, we found everybody. All the good ones and the bad ones too, just in case. We got everybody. We found both the bad and the good. And so the wedding hall was filled with guests. Whew, we did it. We did it. The servants went out. They filled the wedding hall. Yes, now the king's going to be happy. He told us, go get everybody. We went and we got everybody. Everybody that was left, we got them all. Now their wedding hall is full of people. And so now you would expect that the king would walk in and be like, this is great. Look at this celebration. Look at how much fun we're having. The food is getting eaten. My son is being honored. Everybody's celebrating because of this wedding. This is wonderful. And so the king comes in, right? Verse 11. But... When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. Now, many of you know that the pastors sit on Thursday uh, afternoons or, or mornings sometimes and talk about the sermon. And one of the, the other pastors, I'll leave him anonymous, goes, there's always that one guy that shows up with the Hawaiian shirt and the flip-flops to a black tie event. Where you, they walk in and you're like, did you, uh, I wish you hadn't RSVP'd. Or maybe you're watching a, a television show or a movie or something and you see the beauty, right? There's lots of pressure. Every time you have a series, a TV series, the weddings are really important. It's like the highlight of the series is when a main character gets married. And so you have this big buildup and then you have this wedding celebration and they say the most amazing and profound and wonderful speeches because that's really important. And everything is perfect and beautiful because this is like a fifty dollars or $100,000 wedding that they're putting on and it's just beautiful. But then it gets ruined because that drunk person comes in and they're all disheveled and really loud and it's... It seems really out of place, and I cringe. And I go, this show has jumped the shark for me. I'm done. I cannot watch this show anymore. I can't handle that kind of awkward. I know some of you, like, that kind of awkward is really funny to you. I can't handle it. I can't handle it. It's just so out of place. And I know that's what the show's directors are doing, right? They are trying to make it fun by having this thing that happens. But I just put myself in the place of the family who's throwing the party and just the wide-eyed, everything is getting ruined. 
This day that was supposed to be such a great celebration, everything is getting ruined because this person came in and does not understand what we are doing here. What we're doing here is we're celebrating and everything is supposed to be picture perfect. The photographer is going around and taking pictures. The videographer is going around and and doing the video and you just are like, somebody needs to hide him, right? That person that came in and they were not prepared for this scenario. Somebody needs to hide them. Somebody needs to ask them to leave. We hope that it's not a prominent member of the family so that we can ask them to leave because this is an embarrassment and it's ruining everything. And the king walks in and the halls are full, right? And we feel for a moment like, we did it. It had almost been an enormous embarrassment because nobody had showed up, but now the halls are full, everybody's there, everybody's having a good time, we're, we're eating, we're drinking, we're talking, we're celebrating, and then he sees and goes, what? What what are you doing? Do you not know that this is a wedding celebration of the son of the king? When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And so then you'd read this with people, right? And we'd talk about it and we'd go, what if he couldn't afford it? I mean, they went out and they got everybody. They just brought everybody in. What, what if this guy couldn't afford wedding clothes? Well, then you might expect that he wouldn't be speechless because the king would come to him and say, friend, how did you get in here with no wedding clothes? And he would say, I'm sorry, Lord. I have no wedding clothes. But he makes no such excuse. He's speechless. It was not an inability to be clothed. It was not because he didn't know what the expectation was or that he could not be prepared. He should have been prepared. But he came in flippantly. Well, you know, those people rejected you. So I just waltzed right in. The servant said, hey, free food. So I showed up. Hey, free food. The king is going, but this is a wedding celebration. This is a wedding celebration. You can't just come however. This is a royal wedding celebration. You're ruining it by treating it so flippantly. You can't just waltz right in like this. Jesus had begun this parable by saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast. 
And we look at this and see that Jesus, that uh, the king invited people to come to the wedding feast and they rejected him. And then he invited other people who accepted and this person is now being rejected even though they accepted, right? And I have to go, okay, now why, how is, does this connect to the kingdom of heaven? Who who gets into the kingdom of heaven? How do you get into the kingdom of heaven? How do you get into this wedding feast? Well, you're invited in. You're invited to come into the the wedding feast, and you're invited to come into the kingdom. But if I were to ask somebody, how is it that you think that people get into the kingdom of heaven? I think I would hear something along these lines. I think that because of God's holiness the spiritually elite would get into the kingdom of heaven by their performance. The standards are really high. The standards are really high. God is very holy. And so it must be that only the very holy people can get in. So because of God's holiness, I think that to get into the kingdom of heaven, you must be among the spiritually elite. You must also be very holy. And I think that that represents this first group, the people that were invited, right? That, that they were told, come, but they would not submit. They would not submit to the authority of God and enter into, by invitation, his wedding feast. There are others that you might talk with and go, I think anybody can come. Anybody, because of God's great love and mercy, anybody can get into the kingdom of heaven. God is loving and mercy. Those are like the loving and merciful. Those are like the most important things about God. And because of that, he'll just accept everybody. Everybody gets into the kingdom of heaven. Everybody gets into the kingdom of heaven because God loves them and he understands and he just loves them as they are, like we all should, just love everybody as they are and just welcome them in. And so I think that God, because of his great love and mercy, he just welcomes everybody in because God is love. And I think that represents the second group of people, right? That God, because of his love and mercy, invites them in. He invites them all in, the good and the bad. But only those who accept and submit to the authority of the king remain in the kingdom. Because this guy, who is speechless... is going to be expelled from the party. Verse 13, Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is this a harsh response? I mean, it seemed kind of harsh that first group that first group when Jesus in, or when the king invited them and they refused to come and so then he went and just destroyed them with a complete judgment complete and total judgment it seemed a little harsh but then you recognize that they were not willing to submit to the authority of the king and they were not willing to honor his son 
And now we have somebody else who is invited in and who does come in, who accepts the invitation and wanders in, but still does not submit to the authority of the king or honor the son. Because the context for this wedding feast is that when you come in, you come in with the purpose of honoring the son. That's the reason that you're there. Oh, you may think you're there for the free food. You may think you're there for the good conversation. You may think that you're there for the lively music and the dancing because it's going to be a lot of fun. But the reason that there's a party at all is for the honoring of the Son. And so if you are not there to honor the Son, you have no purpose in being there. We, we have people who want to enter into the kingdom of heaven so that they can have fellowship, so that they can have good conversation with people who are going into the kingdom of heaven. Or you have people who go into the kingdom of heaven or want to go into the kingdom of heaven, want to enter into God's church so that you get there for the free food. Right? You get, get there for the blessings that come along with being a part of that community. Or because of the joy and the celebration, because it's really fun to hang out with these people and to celebrate. Because of the great music, that's why I'm here. But the reality is, when you enter into the kingdom of heaven, it is for the purpose of honoring the Son. And if you're not there to honor the Son, get out. Get out. This is not honoring to my son. And so the king says, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. For many are called, but few are chosen. I think by the way that this... Now, I, I hate to correct Jesus in the way that he does things. I think he probably said this in the best way. But if I were to say it, I would say, for many are called, but many are rejected. Right? Because that seems to be the point of this story, that, that he calls some and they refuse to come so they are not worthy of coming and so he rejects them. And then he calls others and some try to get in, but they are not worthy of it and so they are rejected. Many are called, but many are rejected. And probably the reason Jesus didn't say it that way is because then it sounds like everybody is rejected, right? And so he says it this way instead. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. And if I think about how am I going to get into the kingdom of heaven? Because it's not going to be because of my spiritual elite status. This may surprise some of you, but it's definitely not that. I'm not going to get in because I deserve to come in. 
So I'm going to come in, and I'm going to have to be the guy who shows up at the door and goes, I got this invitation, and I'd really like to come in, but I don't have the wedding clothes. I am not worthy to come in, but I'd really like to participate in the celebration and honor the son, and I don't have the clothes to get in. Will you let me in? And here's what I know. That my God is loving and merciful. And my God is holy. And so he will look at me in my filthy rags and he'll say, I know what to do. Let's remove those filthy rags and give you some really nice clothes. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. How did that happen? The Lord did that. The Lord clothed me with those garments of salvation. Again, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her, given to her, to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. This is our invitation this is our invitation to enter into the celebration and joy and delight of God, into His kingdom of heaven, so that we might honor His Son, who like a bridegroom is ready and waiting for His bride, the church, to come to Him. And that bride, the church, has been prepared, cleansed by the bridegroom, brought by Jesus. She has been cleansed of all unrighteousness, so that she is sparkling and pure and well-adorned, so that the smile on his face lights up in the way that the groom's face lights up as the bride enters in and everybody stands. And in beautiful, dazzling white, she walks down and the smile on his face as he beams with joy to see her coming. And you and I are that bride. You and I are that church that has been made ready not by our own efforts, 
Not by anything that we have done, but by Jesus and by his blood. He said, I see all of your filthy rags. I see all of your unrighteousness. Let me wash that all clean. And let me enrobe you in the righteous deeds of the saints. Let me grant to you, give to you these beautiful clothes, these beautiful works that I have prepared ahead of time for you. Let me clothe you and prepare you in that way so that I might delight as I present you to myself. That's what Jesus is doing. And so we enter into the celebration not merely as a guest in our wedding clothes who is delighting to be in there watching as the son and the the bride are married, but actually celebrating in the joy of that union as we are united with Christ. That is the great joy that you and I are participating in now and anticipating its fulfillment, complete fulfillment in the time to come. The alternative is complete judgment. For those who reject the the kingdom of heaven and those who refuse to honor the Son will be rejected. And the judgment for them will be complete because of their refusal to submit to his authority. And Jesus is telling this story in the temple. And the leaders, the Pharisees and other religious leaders are hearing it. And they are hardening their hearts and bracing themselves. Because they are determined to reject him. And the disciples and the crowds are looking on and listening in as they are being invited. And what's going to happen in merely a day or two from the time that Jesus is standing in the temple doing these teachings is that he is going to go to the cross It's only about two days away. There's many chapters in the book of Matthew, but it's only about two days away chronologically. That he's going to go to the cross and make it possible for those who accept the invitation to come in with the proper wedding clothes and delight in his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we we ask that you would accept us, that you would cleanse us, that we would delight to be in your presence. We thank you for inviting us into the kingdom of heaven, and Father, we repent of the things that distract us, the things that seem so important and weigh on our minds, the, the things that seem so urgent and can't be put aside, the th- things that seem so entertaining or delightful that engage our attention and affection. Lord, we pray that you would help us to set those things aside so that we might come into your presence and rejoice to be with you and to honor your Son, the one who is worthy of all glory and all honor. 
And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.